uh, our reading is from John 17, verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, would all, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, <clears throat> so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Thank you, Heather. Let me clean up here a little bit. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, my name is Dan Morris. I'm excited to be with you guys uh, this morning. And uh, we're going to continue in John 17. We're going to wrap up the high priestly prayer. We're going to be looking at verses 20 to 26. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have been reading this prayer now over and over again. And as I've been studying it and meditating on it, and I think I've taken this prayer for granted. I've, I've read it kind of like, oh, yeah, this is, this is great. Jesus prays for us. But I've never really unpacked it to the degree which I have in the last week, and it's, it's absolutely humbling. This prayer is very humbling. It is a supernatural prayer um, between God the Son and God the Father, and it's absolutely beautifully rich and deep in its theological meaning, and the richness is overwhelming in how Jesus is praying for us, for himself and, and for the church. And so I think it's also beautiful that we get, we get a sneak peek. We get to listen in as the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the one who created all things and sustains all things, gets to have this conversation, this intimate conversation in the Godhead, and we get to be a part of that. We get to listen in on what that looks like. It's very, very humbling. It's very beautiful that this this, this son that would have this deep, meaningful conversation with God the Father, the, that, that he would be the one who would die for our sins, who would take on the sin debt for all mankind for all eternity. We get to listen in as he's going to the cross, as he's preparing himself to go to the cross in this beautiful prayer that Jesus has for us and for himself it's also the only place in all of Scripture that's devoted. The whole chapter is devoted to this prayer. And it truly is the Lord's Prayer. I think you said that, right, Pastor Kevin? Yeah, it is truly the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, you know, the disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And he gives them a model. But Jesus never prayed the Lord's Prayer. This truly is the Lord's Prayer. And it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer that we get to see um, in this, this conversation that they have. But before we get into the, the, the passage for today and really the review, I want to remind you of why the Gospel of John was written. And uh, I mentioned this when we opened up uh, the Gospel of John when I first preached the first week 
uh, from the Gospel of John, the reason why John wrote this book. And I'm bringing this up again because I think it's important. And from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this is the theme of the Gospel of John. And why I think it's important for today is because this theme is really woven in to the high priestly prayer, and we'll see that today. And so this is the theme that, that some would believe in him, and by believing in Jesus, we would have life in his name and life eternal. So we're going to review. We're going to start a little bit with a review since we're going to be wrapping this up today. So uh, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. And in verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for the disciples. And then in verses 20 to 26, which we're going to be unpacking today, Jesus is praying for us as future uh, believers. So let's do a quick review here. In, in verses 1 through 5, it starts out where Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, God, glorify me as I glorify you. And I just think this is, this is like the topic sentence of the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer is really about the glory of God. That God is so concerned with his own glory that he's going to glorify the Son, that the Son would be glorified, and that in that, God the Father would also be glorified. But how is Jesus going to be glorified? We need to know this. It's through his death and his resurrection that his power, his love, his mercy, and his grace would be on full display. Now think about what Jesus did for us. And in that, God is glorified. Jesus is glorified that the plan of God would be fulfilled in the sacrifice of his son when he goes to the cross and offers this gift of redemption for all mankind. The name of Jesus would be lifted up. God would be glorified. This redemptive work that, would, that was promised in the garden. In, in the, originally, think of the fall. When, when, when they fell, when, when Adam and Eve fell in, in Genesis chapter 3, you know, they fell into sin and right away, the, God's like, hey man, I'm going to send you a rescuer. I'm going to send you someone, the seed of a woman, yeah, that guy's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. That's, that's from Genesis 3. It's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. And so right from the beginning of scripture, right from the fall of man, God is like, I got you. I'm going to send somebody who's going to rescue you and give you eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven. He's going to offer you forgiveness of sin by his own blood. And so there's this beautiful, beautiful picture all throughout Scripture. And it's through this finished work of Jesus. Think when he sits or he's up on the cross, he's nailed on the cross, and he says, it is finished. This is what he was talking about, that the plan of redemption was complete, and so in that, he would be glorified. He would be lifted up on the cross, and God would be glorified in his sacrifice. It's just a beautiful picture of the plan of God and the glory of God. And then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he's praying that the Father would keep them secure and that he would preserve them from the evil one. And why is that? Because they were going to come under attack. And you know why? Because they were on mission. They had a mission. They had a mission from God. I think Dan Aykroyd said it right. He's on a mission from God. So these, these, these disciples were on a mission from God, and they were going to come under attack. 
And so Jesus was praying for them to be protected from the evil one. And so in this, they would have to be sanctified. They'd have to be set apart. They would have to be moved aside for a special purpose. They'd have to be made holy and pure and righteous by the blood of Jesus and set apart for a special purpose. And this purpose was to advance the kingdom through the preaching and declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were going to inaugurate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, in his love for them, is praying that they would be sanctified. They would be set apart for their purpose. And, and, and this is all, this whole prayer is supernatural. Think about this. Think about how, how supernatural it is that, that God the Son would have this conversation with God the Father and they would both be glorified in a supernatural way. And yet he's asking God to do something in the supernatural to set these people apart, to sanctify them, to make them holy, to make them blameless and pure. It's a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit that they might be able to share their testimonies and, and, and write down through Scripture the beautiful works of God and what that means for us in the church. So now in John verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for us. He prays for the church. And Jesus is going to make some very important points that we're going to talk about today. Number one, he's going to talk about, he's going to stress unity. That this thing about Christian unity and unity within the body of Christ and even the local church is of utmost importance. He wants us to be unified. But that the foundation of all of this unity is love. It's love. Now, you may be thinking this because I was thinking this. Like, I'm reading through this. I'm like, I got to preach on unity and love. Like, unity and community and God is love. It's almost like white noise in the church sometimes, right? Yeah, God loves me. I, I know that. I've been told that. I t I'm, I'm told that every Sunday. Yeah, we're supposed to have unity and community. We're supposed to be a family. You hear all of that. And the New Testament really speaks, like, really strongly about what it means to be in the family of God and to be a part of the church and how this is so important. So I'm going to take a different, little bit of a different angle at this today. So I'm going to look at this um, a little different because there's something that's, Again, supernatural happening in the spiritual realm when we come together in unity and love that I never saw before. But I see it in, in the conclusion of this prayer. Something that's happening that God is doing through our unification, the unification of the body of Christ and the church when we're in unity in love. And the foundation of all of that is love. So we're going to read starting in verse 20. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more so. So, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only. Okay, he's referring to the disciples that he just got done praying for. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. So he's praying for the disciples, yes. But he's also praying for us, for the church, for future believers. And we're going to see that he's continuing to pray for, for people who will believe in him. So if you're sitting here, and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is really cool. You're an answer to Jesus' prayer. Like Jesus prayed for your salvation. Jesus prayed for you to be saved. He prayed for me to be saved. That we would believe in, in him through the words that were written by the disciples. The scriptures, the holy scriptures would speak to us. And that we would, through hearing this gospel message, that we'd come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's his prayer for us. Jesus is praying for us. That's amazing. He is in communion with God the Father, God the Son and God the Father, and he's praying for us. I mean, think of all the things that Jesus could be praying for. And he's praying for us in our salvation. So let's go into verse 21. That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and you love them, even as you loved me. Jesus here is asking God the Father that we would be connected in the Godhead the same way that he is connected to the Father, that we would be one with God, that we'd be one with God the Father through God the Son. He's already given us his glory. He actually tells us he's already given his, his glory to us, this perfect oneness. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've been born of the Spirit and the Spirit lives in you, you have oneness with God the creator of all things, the creator, the sustainer, the one who spoke everything into existence, you have oneness with him. There's no more work to be done. You are completely secure in Jesus. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's look at verse 23 again. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, here's the purpose, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Done. It's done. You've been made perfect through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. You've been made perfect. That's amazing. It's amazing as we struggle through life, as we trip and we stumble and we fall, that you have, in the heavenly realms, you've been made perfect already in Jesus there's nothing more for you to do. There's no more work for you. There's nothing for you to earn. You have been given eternal life. You are a citizen of heaven. You've been given everything that you've needed. You're already justified in his eyes. You've been declared innocent in the eyes of God. You have been redeemed by his blood, and you have been adopted, and you are secure in Christ if you've been born of the Spirit of God. Can I get an amen? This is good stuff. This is exciting stuff if you think about it. This is like amazing that God has glorified himself and glorified God in making us one with him, perfectly one with him. So in these three short verses that I've read and that we've talked about, Jesus has prayed for you. He has called you. He has saved you. He has glorified you. He has given you perfect unity with God. And he has demonstrated his love for the world through his love for us. That's pretty good stuff. That's an amazing God that we serve, is it not? That is amazing. But have you considered that the unity and love that God has for us demonstrates to the world that God loves them? I've, I never thought of it that way. I really never have thought of it this way. So God is doing something in the supernatural realm when we're unified, in love. When we come together as a body of Christ in love, God is at work, not just in here, but out there. God's doing something 
powerful and beautiful in the world through our unity and love. It's actually amazing that he would do something like that. And that's why this is so important that we are unified, that we, are, we do have unity and community. And yes, God is love. And when we experience that together as a family, God is doing amazing things out there in the world. And I never thought of it that way. So this isn't just practical. This isn't like we just get together in our holy huddle and we just experience love and unity within ourselves, within our congregation. Yes, we do, and that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when we come together and and we get to spend time together and we get to share our lives with one another in unity and love, but God is at work out there saying, check that out. Check that out. There's something beautiful happening over there. I want you to go there. I want you to be a part of that. We don't, we don't even see that. We, we don't even recognize that. But God is at work through our unity and our love. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. AJ came here to visit today. AJ just got back from something that I was a part of a month ago. It's called Life Camp USA. And I want to tell you a little bit about it because it demonstrates this whole thing. Um, we, we had a camp that we were invited to. And, and mine was in Colorado. His was up in, in Rhinelander. But we, we had a mission. Life Camp USA is a mission. What they do is they, they gather boys who've lost their dads to combat or due to PTSD. And our goal is to introduce them to God, that he would be a father to the fatherless, that they would understand that there's a heavenly father, even though they've lost their earthly father to combat or to PTSD when they've been home. There's a God who loves them. There's a father who loves them. And they have a heavenly father that won't give up on them. They'll never leave them. They'll never forsake them. All of that is wrapped up in this thing. And so we had 10 men from across the country come to this camp in Colorado and meet with these boys, these young men. They're from uh, 11 to 14. And uh, we met for about four weeks via Zoom just to try to build rapport and build unity within the team, ultimately, because we all needed to be on the same page. And, And our ultimate goal was just to love these boys because they're broken. These boys are brokenhearted. You could see it when they came off the plane. You could talk, talk to them a little bit. You could hear it in their voice that they're just brokenhearted. They lost their dads. And most of them, actually, we had nine boys that showed up. Eight of the nine boys lost their dads um, in PTSD, due to PTSD. Only one on the battlefield, one came home. And, to, and the, or, um, the rest of them, you know, they, they took their lives when they came home. And so we realized that there's a lot of shame in the community, in the military community, and just in general. That, hey, my dad didn't die on the battlefield. He came home and took his own life. And so we wanted to do something to try to restore the dignity. And this whole week, we were teaching them practical life lessons and pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to the Bible, teaching them how to live life, that integrity matters, that hard work matters, that resilience matters. These things matter. And these all point to your life plan, which is in Jesus And so we're trying to lead them to Jesus, that they might experience life through him. It was very emotional. A lot of tears shed, a lot of brokenhearted little boys. And so we had some boys that were just really hard to handle. And we were just, we debrief at night and we just talk about how we just need to love these boys. We just need to love them together. Ten men. And we had macho men. We had a Navy SEAL, an Air Force Special Force guy, a combat controller. We had a naval pilot. We had a survival instructor from the Air Force. We had a bunch of hunters. We had some guys, some pretty macho guys. 
Um, and, you know, I think that was a little intimidating. But we were just like, hey, man, we're just going to love these boys, even though that they're a mess. We're just going to love them together. As the body of Christ, we're going to love them. And it wasn't a few days before you could start to see this love and this unification of these men take effect. We all love Jesus. We all declared our love for Jesus and our love for one another, that we were the body of Christ and we were coming to serve these boys. And we had this special moment, and I just want to tell you about it because it's very special and it's something I'll never forget. We wanted to restore some dignity in the sacrifice of these men who took their lives due to PTSD because ultimately this is a wound of war. It's up here. The battlefield just changed. It was over there, and now it was, it, it, the battlefield is in here. And so they sacrificed their lives for their country nonetheless. And these boys who, who had some shame, and, and because of that, we were going to try to restore dignity in, into their lives and let them know that we, we honored them and we honored their sacrifice and the, and the sacrifice of their dads. So we came up with an idea, and it was 10 of us standing in a line, and we, we marched these, these boys out in front of us under the American flag, and we stood at attention in front of them because we wanted to honor them. And one of the guys, the guy, his name is Trevor, who's the Air Force Combat Controller, just read this beautiful letter to them about how much we love them and how we appreciated their sacrifice and the sacrifice of their father and what that meant to our country and, and that they, they shouldn't be ashamed, that, they, that they, their, their dad's their dad's life and the way that it ended had dignity and honor, and we restore that. We want to restore that. We want to recognize that. And your sacrifice as children, your, as boys, as young boys, you gave up your father for our country. And we wanted to restore that dignity, and we just stood there at attention, and they began to quiver, and, and tears began to fall down their face. And then he called us to attention, and we stood at attention while the leader prayed this beautiful prayer over these boys, that they might know that they're not forgotten, that God loved them, that they were loved by us, and that God loved them and had a plan for their life. There was not, I mean, we're all, everyone was bawling. They were crying. These boys were crying. I don't know if they'd never heard that before, but they felt love from these men who were unified in this mission to love them to love these boys, and they began to weep, and we began to weep, and we went back at attention, and then we went around, and we were just supposed to shake their hand. They said, just shake their hand and thank them. Uh-uh. It, it, was, it, was, it was an all-out emotional affair, and we were hugging, and we were both crying together, and they were telling us that they loved us, and we loved them, and we were going to be here for them, and they have all of our cell numbers. I've gotten calls from them, there's this young man, he calls me Overwatch, and he's Foxtrot 75, and we have this dialogue back and forth. So we have this, this, this game that we play. Hey, Foxtrot 75, it's Overwatch. Do you come in? Yeah, so we have this thing back and forth. His dad was an army ranger and took his life. His dad was, was in Foxtrot. That was his, his company name. So he's Foxtrot 75, and I'm Overwatch, and I hope that that never ends. But my point in this is that there was, there was a moment there was a moment where we were unified and that we came together to love these boys with everything that we had for a week and make a difference in their lives, whatever that would look like. And they wept. And five of these nine boys gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. I got to baptize two of these boys in the river. I can't tell you what this means 
that over half of those boys came to Jesus Christ because they saw men who loved them. They saw men who, men who were unified in this mission to preach the gospel, to tell them the gospel, to love them in the gospel. This demonstrates the, the, the power of love and unity in the church. This is what Jesus is praying for here, that we would be unified in love and that through that he would work and Jesus is working through our unity in our love in ways we don't even understand. Is this important to the church? Yes, it's important to the church. It's hugely important to the church. Let's go to verse 24. That was a really weird transition. Sorry about that. I just, I got a little out of control there. Father, I desire, listen, this is beautiful. This is still just so beautiful. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Think about this, that Jesus, again, the creator of the universe, wants us, desires us to be with him. How beautiful is that, that this omnipotent, all-powerful God would want us to be with him. He desires us. He desires us. Do you know that you're desired by God? God himself desires you. That's so beautiful. It's not like just, you know, you come to faith in Christ and he's just kind of like, okay, you're, now you're on your own. No, he desires you. He wants to have intimate, intimacy with you. He cares deeply about you. He's the king of glory, and he wants to be with us. It's so humbling as I read this, and, and, and I've probably skipped over that a million times, and here I'm like, man, Jesus desires me? He des yes, he desires us. Think about it. Have you ever wanted to be with somebody so bad that you're almost obsessed with that person? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. It was my wife. She's glad to hear that, I'm sure. She knows about this. I, I, it's kind of a funny story. When we first met, we spent tons of time together. And she's really, she's my best friend. My wife is my best friend. I love my wife. We have so much fun together. She's a hoot. She's a lot of fun. And I just love being with her. So her and I have this kind of like cool relationship that we just like, I'd rather do anything I do with the boys, I'd rather do with her. But some stuff she doesn't like to do, so I do with the boys. So, but I'd rather do it with her. Well, early on in our marriage, I, she could tell, like, I'd be tying my shoes on to go to work. And um, she'd be like, you really don't want to go to work, do you? I'm like, no, I don't. I want to be with you. I want to just stay home and hang out and just, you know, do what we do, you know, and just live life together. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to be with my wife. And there'd be times where I'd go, I'm going on a sales call. Would you come with me? Come on. Come to sales call. I'm calling sales calls with me. And a couple times she went. She went. But other times she was like, I can't. I have life. We have kids. I can't just leave and like be with you all day and sit in the car as you're going in to meet with customers. And I'm like, well, oh, come on. But anyways, I, she would say this, and she's like, you just wish you could pack me up in your pocket. Just stuff me in your pocket and just take me wherever you're going. And I'm like, absolutely. I wish I could do that. You know, I wish I could shrink you down and just stuff you in my pocket and take you with me wherever I go. And just think about like that obsession, that way that I just wanted to be with my wife. Jesus wants that even more. Jesus desires to be with us in glory. 
He desires that we would see his glory, that he could put his full glory on display, and that we would be a part of that. That we'd be perfectly one with him and the Father, and that we would enter in his glory, and that he would be able to show us that. That's his desire. It makes my obsession with my wife look just kind of silly. God loves us that much. It's amazing that he would, that he would have that kind of relationship with us. It's a beautiful thing. And then Jesus goes on in verse 25 here to say, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, he's going to continue uh, to draw us together with himself. He's going to continue to draw people together with himself. That includes us. That includes the church. That includes people who haven't even heard his name yet. He's going to continue to, to pray for us. And that is a beautiful thing. So hopefully you're, getting, you're seeing this pattern of love and unity in the church that, that Jesus is praying for us. And there's good reason for that because it's not natural for us. Coming together as a church, as a people group, as a a, a body is not easy. It's not, we're not wired this way in our culture. So this whole thing about unity and love, eh, it's tough. This is tough stuff. Jesus knew that. That's why he prayed for us. He knew that this would be a challenge. And that's what, did I mention that this prayer is supernatural? Yeah, we need supernatural help in this area from God because our nature is to be about us. Our nature is to be about ourselves. We love ourselves. We want to be with ourselves. We want to be about ourselves. This is what makes Christian community so stinking hard. It's so hard sometimes for us because we have to lay our lives down for others. We have to serve one another. We have to give up ourselves. We have to become low as we lift others up. And it's not natural for us. Scripture actually tells us to bear one another's burdens. Like, I don't even want to bear my own burden. I want someone else to bear that. Or I want to just ignore it and pretend like there's no burden there, right? But he's telling us to bear other people's burdens, to take them on ourselves and help them with those burdens. That's tough stuff. And then we're supposed to confess our sins one to another, right? I mean, that's brutal. Like, he's got this idea that we're just gonna, we're gonna have such unity and love within the church that we are, we're, we're, gonna, we're just going to open ourselves up and, 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 and be totally vulnerable. But that's not how we're wired. That's not the way we operate in the church. So often that's not what we do. So we become unknown. We are unknown by one another. That's not God's design for us. This is what we do. We go like this. We go, I'm just going to hide. I'm just going to spend some time out in creation. That's where I meet God. I'm going to do it another way. That's not God's way. That's not God's way that we would isolate ourselves and that we'd hide from him and that we would hide from each other. That's not his way. We're not supposed to hide. You saw in the garden again, Adam and Eve sinned. What they do? They ran and hide, they hid. And God came, hey, where, where are you at? Come on. We need to be together. God, Adam, Eve, I'm going to cover your shame. I'm going to take care of your shame because we need to be together. 
I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to send a rescuer who's going to take care of that for all mankind, for all eternity. He's going to take on the sin debt through the gospel of Jesus Christ for all mankind. This is a done deal. Come. Come together. Come with me. That's supposed to be the posture of the church. And to love others and to be in this supernatural posture of love and unity, so beautiful when you see it. Have you ever experienced it? That you'd be so unified as a, as, as a group that you would have this intimacy with one another, that you'd be able to truly share yourselves. It's completely liberating when you can share your faults and your failures and your fears with one another. When you can come up to a brother and just go, oh, look at the junk inside me. Look at all this junk. I got a lot of junk going on in me. Do you mind if I pull off my mask for a moment? so that I can show you my true self, because I need you in my life. I need you to help me with this. I've got sin that I'm dealing with, and there's stuff that I'm going through that's just, it's ugly, and it's messy, and it's destructive, and I need you. I need your help. And the brother just says, the brother or sister says, absolutely, but guess what? I got my own stuff. Will you help me? Will you encourage me? Will you love me? Yeah. Will you pray for me? Absolutely. Yeah. Can we be real together? Yes. Let's be real. Let's unpack our lives together. Let me be one with you as Jesus is one with the Father and we are one with him. Let me be one with you. Let me, let me show my burdens to you so you can carry mine and I can carry yours. And we can be in this together. And we can experience the love and unity of God. And we can let God do something beautiful in that. Beautiful, transformative. Something that we haven't seen before. God at work. Not just on a Sunday morning. Not just on a Sunday morning. This, this whole idea like we have in the American church of like non-unity is a total foreign concept in the scriptures. This the Sunday church is like non-recognizable in the New Testament. And I'm not talking about, unity is not uniformity, by the way. Um, unity is, you know, not like, hey, we all have to dress the same, talk the same, read out of the same version of the Bible. We don't have to do all of that stuff, you know, whatever. It's, it's not a cult. Unity doesn't mean we become cult-like. Unity means we just come together and we do life together. We share ourselves. The deep, deep stuff of our life we share together. And we let God do something super beautiful in that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we're a peculiar people in the King James. Kind of like how the King James says it, that we're peculiar. But you know what that word means in the Greek? Uncommon, different. Weird. It, it, there's a connotation that there's some weirdness. And I'm going to embrace that. That, yeah, I'm a little weird. I'm a little different than what the world looks like. I want to be different. I want to be a little weird for Jesus. I do. I, 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 I want to worship a God who I've never seen, I've never touched, I've never held him. I, 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 that's the God I worship. I want to lay my life down for my brothers and sisters. Who does that in the world? I, I want to live differently. I want to come together as the body of Christ and have something supernatural happen here. 
I want to confess my faults and my sins to somebody that would do the same to me and that I could trust and that we could bear one another's burdens. I want to serve one another. I want to become low. I want to give up my life. That's uncommon. That's weird. But that's who we are. We're peculiar people, and God is doing something beautiful in that that we don't quite understand, and we don't need to. We need to obey the Scriptures. The Scripture tells us to come together, that we're one with God and that we're to be one with one another. Francis Chan, in his book, The Letters to the Church, says that the unified church looks so beautiful, so attractive, it is that kind of love that makes our message believable. Scripture is clear. There's a real connection between our unity and the believability of our message. If we are serious about winning the loss, we must be serious about pursuing unity. He's got a whole chapter on there in supernatural love and supernatural unity. And it, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and he, he comes back to this thing that God is doing something crazy in the church that we don't see and we don't understand through our unity and love. That's not just about us. And scripture would tell us there's something about this, this uh, that we're on mission, that really we're on mission we are, when we're unified in love and how love is foundational to this unity. I'm gonna read from 1 John 4, 7 to 12, because it's really beautiful how it's written here. Beloved, let us love one another. Love, unity. Love, unity. For love is from God. It's supernatural. God-centered love is not from us. It is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know or does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, which he does, he so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, that's the third time in this text that he said love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So there's this, this beautiful picture that's being, that John is writing here about loving one another and the unity of the church and how that brings us together and what God is doing in all of that. God is perfecting his love in and through us. And in this scripture and all through the scriptures, there's two ways that, that love here is described in, in this sense. There's the love of God, which is agape, and there's what God does, that God loved us. It's, or, excuse me, the other way. It's agape and agapeo. Agape is a noun. It's the love of God. Agapeo is that God loved us and that we're love others. That's a verb. And in the scripture, that's how it's written. Agapeo is seen. It's tangible. It works. It just doesn't sit around and have theological discussions about the concept of love. Love works. Love reaches out. Love forgives. Love extends grace. Love serves one another. Love confesses your sins one to another. There's all of that. Love bears one another's burdens. See, love is on display in the gospel, but this passage tells us that it's perfected in us. 
When it's on display, we love like Jesus. And Jesus is on display through our love. This passage says in verse 12 that no one has ever seen God. But our love shows the world who God is. The world sees God through our love. No one has seen God, but it's perfected in us. It is shown off. It's displayed. God's love is made manifest in us. It's made glorified and beautiful in us in the way that we love one another and people outside. But in this context, he's talking about us loving one another. Through our love, which is foundational to our unity, God is glorified. God is glorified. And listen, I want to I read to you another passage from Philippians 1.27. Listen to what God does in the supernatural when we are in unity together. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Sounds like unity to me. For the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign. Listen to this. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Whoa. But of your salvation, and that from God. So in Philippians, Paul's making this point that when we're unified, we're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People see that and go, whoa. I'm so lost. I'm so lost without Jesus. I see this beautiful picture of unity and love, and God, God is doing something beautiful in their lives and saying, come, come, you're, you need me. You need that. They have something you don't. You're lost. I'm going to show you your destruction by their love and unity. I mean, that's pretty low-risk evangelism for us to get together in unity and love, and let God bring the harvest? That God would show people their lostness through our unity and love? I mean, it's, think about our church. Think about the American church. Think about the condition of the church and how we're unified, and how we're divided, and how we're split up, and how we can't come together, and how we argue, and we have all the strife. You hear about it in the news. I heard this morning that the SBC is being investigated by the DOJ. That's a lot of initials I just put out there. I hope you know what that means. The Southern Baptist Convention is being investigated by the Department of Justice. I mean, you hear that stuff and you're like, what, what, what ha what's happening? It's what, you, this is why Jesus is praying for us. We need to come together as the church in unity and love. And God in his providence, in his providential, supernatural way, He's using our unity and our love to show the world that they are completely without hope and in need of a Savior. And when that happens, when we are unified and they realize their need for Jesus, they come. They come because they see something beautiful here, something the world doesn't have to offer, something that, like, you know, gang members talk about the the, the connection that they have within the gang and in their family and how powerful that is. They see it in the church in a more powerful way, a more intimate way, a more meaningful way, and God uses that and brings them to Jesus. 
So yeah, this unity and love thing, yeah, there's unity and community and God is love, but there's also something happening out there that we don't understand when we come together as the body of Christ, and that's what Jesus is praying for. So I'd like to invite up the band at this uh, time. As we conclude, um, Jesus' prayer is that the glory of God would be so brightly manifested in our lives, in unity, in love, that the world could not, even if it wanted to, could not resist the beauty of the cross of Christ. And they would come. This whole unity thing, this whole love thing, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about us. And ultimately, it's about the glory of God. It's about Jesus Christ himself accomplishing his mission through us. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to partake in that. We get to be a part of that. So I'm going to ask you some questions here. By entering into this in the church, does this mean that sometimes things might get messy? Yes. Does this mean that at some point you might get hurt? Anybody here been hurt by the church? I'll raise two hands for that. Does this mean that you're going to be disappointed in some areas in the church? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Does this mean that there might be times when you disappoint others? Yes. Welcome to life in the family. Here's the beautiful thing here. We know Jesus. He's filled with grace and mercy. And he has loved us. And we're to love one another which the, in the same way that he has loved us. So we extend forgiveness to one another. We extend grace to one another. We love you when you seem unlovable. When you're just having a miserable time and your life is broken and all jacked up. We love you through that. When you make mistakes and you say things you shouldn't say and you do things you shouldn't do, we extend mercy. We extend grace. We offer you the peace of Jesus Christ. We help you be restored. That's our job. We bear your burden. We love you through the difficult moments of your life. Even when it's painful to us, we love you through that. But does this also mean that you might be missing out on some deep, meaningful relationships that bring glory to God and refreshment to your own soul. Yes, yes. And could this unity and love also be a tool that God might use to let others see him in his goodness and in the grace and mercy that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, yes. So there's something beautiful about us as a family in all of our messiness and all of the struggles that we would have with one another. There's something that beautiful that God is doing in the mess of life. When we come together as the body of Christ, as Jesus prayed for us. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you here with a, a few life application questions. And I want you to think about this in the next week. And I want you to marinate on these questions and meditate a little bit on what this prayer, these last six verses in this prayer that Jesus prayed to God the Father, what that means for you in the church. Number one, am I committed to loving others 
and being in unity within the, within the body of Christ and the local church. Are you known here? Are you known? You, we need to know you. And you might think like, I don't want to be known. But I might need to know you. You might have something for me that I need, but I won't know that until I know you. We're in this together. Sometimes it's not about you. It's about us together. And you might have something that would be deeply healing to me. And you don't even know it because I don't know you. And that goes for all of us. Number two, what steps do I need to take to enter into sacrificial biblical community and being deeply committed to one another in love and unity? Love and unity. I don't know what that might look like for you. Does that mean you get involved in a community group? Maybe. Does it mean you get involved in extra things here that we do at church? Maybe. It might be that you just, you find someone who can be an accountability partner, maybe, or, or a prayer partner that you connect with and you get together and you just go, I have to show you my junk. I hope, I hope this doesn't scare you away. But I need to show you my junk. And by the way, can you show me yours? Because I need you. We need each other. Let's do this thing called life together. Number three, are there things I need to remove or add in my life so that I have time for my brothers and sisters in Christ? The busyness thing, it's a joke. Do you know how much time I spend golfing? It's a four to five hour endeavor and I probably do it three times a week. It's a joke. Do I need to, do I need to go down to like two rounds of golf maybe? Do I need to eliminate golf from my life so I can bless my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I willing to do that? Yeah. How much time do I spend on my phone? How much time do I spend in front of the TV? How much time do I spend on me and my wants and my desires? Taking care of me, being about me. I need to be about you. We need to be about us in the glory of God, in the glory of Jesus Christ, in his prayer of unity and love. See, God is doing something supernatural in the gathering of his people, in the ecclesia of his people. God is doing something beautiful. Don't miss out on it. Don't miss it because you're too busy or you've got other ideas about what the church should look like. We're to do this together. We're to do this together. So let's enter this together. Let's come together as a church. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's worship. Amen.